I've got something no one has ever completed in human history. Oh, and I've got a rather exciting raffle. to Date Fight and a very happy hump day to you. It's the podcast where we take great <laughs> moments that happened on this day in history and smash them together. He's Jake, yeah. I'm Nat Tapley and together we will be taking two of the camels of history <laughs> and always. comparing their lower lips to see which is the most beautiful. Always with the camels. Uh, are you, have you started having sort of... This is now just camel, the podcast Camel chat. Camels. Uh, have you started having feelings about camels that you don't fully understand? No, I haven't started having the feelings. I've started recognising the feelings. Oh no. And admitting the feelings. The feelings were always there, Jake. Have you talked to your wife? No. And I just I just said to him, I said, I I always knew. <laughs> just go. Just be who you need to be. And that was it. They went off to Dubai. <laughs> <laughs> I really feel like I've found myself. I mean, if anything, I am I'm better off. Uh, Lucinda here has the lower lip of a 24-year-old and the leathery mouth of a sofa. The leathery mouth of Andrew Neil. <laughs> and the same hair texture as well. And she spits slightly less. Is Andrew Neil a camel? He may be a camel. The evidence he says stores yes bile in his hump it's like that you know the old thing of like oh uh, a, a an elephant walks into a you know people are blindfolded <laughs> yeah, the blind and people, people feel the front trunk, end yeah. and think oh it's andrew neil it's and andrew neil the middle bit and think it's andrew neil and then when they get around the back they're like this is definitely andrew neil uh, and then they find themselves covered in feces and they know it's andrew neil exactly right come on then round one I'm going to take you to the 29th of January, 1819, when Stamford Raffles landed in Singapore. I'm glad you did this one. I want to do this one simply because of the name Stamford Raffles. And then I started reading about it and I thought, went, this is too hard and friendly and I don't know how to milk any gags out of this. And so I'm thrilled that you've done it and I can't wait to see what you do. Fortunately, I feel no compulsion to get any gags out of it at all. I feel no uh, responsibility to entertain the listeners. In the slightest. Uh, I feel nothing. I just want to be with Lucinda. <laughs> She's so bumpy. <laughs> Raffles was born on the ship Anne off the coast of Jamaica, and he went on to become an imperial administrator, essentially going round the world, sticking flags and things and saying, this is British now, and if you are natives, we will either kill you or make you sign a document you don't understand to say, we now own this. Um, he had previously been the lieutenant governor of Java, but he did it so badly he had to go back to England to clear his name. Wow. Uh, when he went out to what was to become Singapore, Castlereagh told him, don't make the Dutch cross, so he promptly went with Mr Farker and made the Dutch cross. <laughs> <laughs> It's not my fault he's called Farker. No. Farker will be turning up a lot yeah, in this story. that's fine. So anyway, they got to what was to become Singapore and they found lots of local leaders there and so they had to essentially guess, stroke, decide who they were going to talk to. They talked to Hussein Shah and they said that he was the head of the whole island. Hussein Shah had previously been the crown prince of Johar but had lost Johar when his younger brother had stolen it when Hussein Shah went on a trip. What? So It's like your Xbox, isn't it? Yeah. On your gap year. <laughs> it's like your whole room when you go off to university, mum. Yeah. <laughs> 
get it all out. Suddenly your younger brother's got it. So uh, Raffle said to Hussein Shah, oh, don't worry, we'll say you, in the eyes of the British, you're now the ruler of the whole of Johar, and your younger brother is nobody to us. Um, so he gave him a pension of 5,000 Spanish dollars a year, in return for which Hussein Shah said, yeah, you can have Singapore. They also spoke to Temenge Abdul Ram, um, who ruled another part of Singapore, and they gave him 3,000 Spanish dollars a year. Now, those amounts of money in today's money are £287,000 and £172,000, which wasn't bad. On the 29th of January, he landed in Singapore, and by the 6th of February, in a week's time, essentially, by next Thursday, they had decided they'd taken over Singapore, had signed things with Hussein Shah and Temenge Abdul Ram, and uh, read out a speech in all languages, all the languages that were spoken on the island, including Malay and Chinese, saying, by the way, this is now British, thank you very much, we'll see you soon. Um, Farker was left on the island, he was made the resident of Singapore, and Raffles left on the 7th of February. When he left, there were 500 residents. When he came back in June, there were 5,000. Um, and that was the beginning of Singapore being the exciting and vibrant port that we know it as today. <laughs> <laughs> Raffles gave his name to many uh, of the things they found in uh, East Asia, including Rafflesia, a genus of parasitic flowering plants with the largest flowers in the world. So very showy, but ultimately parasitic. That's Stamford Raffles. And, of course, meat raffles. Meat raffles, yes. (laughs) He did invent those. That's great. Well, I've got the 29th of January, 1959. Mm. And I'm taking you to Sweden, to Stockholm. Oh, thank goodness. I I hope someone would. I know, right? So I'm not stuck here. I'm dying to go to a, a venue called Circus. Guess what it used to be? A circus? Vets. Yeah, no, it was, yeah. <laughs> and the first Melody Festival is held. Oh. Which, as you can imagine, is a... Uh, That's with the Camels Fest, yeah. Uh, it's a meat raffle. Yeah, no, it is <laughs> It is literally the Melody Festival. Ooh. Okay, literally. Uh, it's a song competition. Uh, I think you can see where it's going. Yes. I see. And it determines the country's representative for the Eurovision Song Contest. So presumably, if this was a local thing that became Europe-wide, if the Welsh had thought hard enough, they could have turned it Eisteddfod into some sort of Europe-wide Eisteddfod. Eurethfod. Eurethfod. Yeah. Possibly. This, I think, was... um, This was post the launch of the Eurovision, but this is how they decided they were going to determine who was going to be their entrance from Sweden, you see. So we didn't used to... People don't... We didn't used to do a song for Europe. That did not used to happen. That was not a thing. (laughs) You know, back when we used to win? Yeah. We didn't let the public decide (laughs) what the song was. Well, right. (laughs) A group of experts chose the song (laughs) and it won... (laughs) Yeah. <laughs> now the public decides, and we fail year yeah. after year after year. Yeah. That, right. Just checking that was the situation. There's a pattern emerging. Mm. Uh, so it's the most popular television program in Sweden and has been since 2000. Ooh. It is humongous. Four million people watched the final in 2012. That's half the Swedish population. Wow. And do they vote, or do they just watch? Suddenly went like Sweden's like the same size as London. Yeah. That's, 
population-wise. It's crazy. Uh, in 1975, a left-wing group uh, said uh, we shouldn't spend money to win and, and, and host Eurovision again. It's a waste of money. Mm. Uh, to, we're going to have our alternative festival, and so there. Ooh. But nobody went, and it was rubbish. And then they had ABBA, so well, just after that. Right. So, well, ABBA, you know. ABBA started at the Melody Festival, and that, you know... It's what, what Wikipedia refers to as a local act, a popular local act. <laughs> Super parochial. Like that ska band who plays in the pub down the road from me. Yeah. yeah. Uh, they start looking for songs within days of the previous year's Eurovision, Eurovision final. Mm-hmm. And uh, it takes six weeks. They have, this is a six-week-long thing, six weeks of public voting, whereas I feel like... Even with our song for Europe, we're still sort of doing the equivalent of like spending the afternoon in the pub. Yes. Then rocking up. Oh, entries. Kind of going, uh, uh, go and put on something I know. Our put on something are I know. terrible. We've completely misunderstood the competition. We think it's far more of a novelty competition than it actually is. So we'll put on yeah. something really weird where everyone goes, no, yeah. that's not a good song. Stop it. Yeah. Everyone goes, oh, and then we, we can play, go, oh, it's all politics. Oh, they won't vote for us because oh, just because we put in rubbish songs deliberately every year, yeah. they don't vote for us. It sort of feels. Or some, sort of anodyne act that no one's ever heard of. I think it's a fair analogue to say it's like straight people going to Pride. You don't really know what it's about. <laughs> you know what I mean? You're having fun and you're all very flamboyantly dressed, but th- that's not really what it's about. <laughs> and that's us at Eurovision. We think, oh, it's camp yeah. and fun and, oh, look, we're doing a Eurovision song, bang a boom a bang bang Yeah. And everyone looks with their lips curling in contempt, saying, we sweated for six weeks. Yeah. To try and work out, you know, nine months of preparation. And we picked our country's this. finest artists to give yeah. their best new effort, and you've turned yeah. up with Sanita again. Yeah, yeah. We we brought ABBA to the world through this mechanism. What did you bring? <laughs> Bucks Fizz. Michael Ball. <laughs> Yeah. Hello, folks. It's Michael Ball here. <laughs> Hello. <laughs> oh, bit. Oh. <laughs> so, who do you prefer, me or Alfie? <laughs> death. Um... <laughs> I chose death. It's all politics, mate. They don't like us. Oh, look at that. Ukraine. They always vote for Russia. No, they don't. They hate each other. Yeah. What are you talking about? Well, they're on the same side of the world. They're like over there. But it's like when Serbia votes for Croatia and vice versa, and everybody claps in a. No, that's great. Yeah. Actually, no, that's actually great. Well, the only votes we get now from cyprus so we're lucky people do vote politically because <laughs> they're the only votes we get mate we need to start invading people again we need to start taking pride yes. in our country yes soon on saturday jake on saturday it all kicks saturday, off i'll tell you oh, what, i'm gonna be so free 1 p.m friday mate oh. best moment of my life oh, i can't wait and that includes the time i saw clarkson <laughs> I'll tell you what, I sat through the birth of four kids, felt nothing, but on Friday night, <laughs> I am going to... I'm coming to life. ...literally wet myself with excitement. <laughs> I'm going to do it for Britain. I'm going to wet myself for Britain. I'm going to stand in Trafalgar Square... I'll be proud of ...urinating, yeah. micturating down my leg into a pool of my own pride. <laughs> birthday to Jermaine Greer who I haven't written a joke for because it wouldn't be Jermaine there you see it just came to me as oh. I was saying there we go um, she saw she was like, it's like oh really great really great really whoa 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 whoa, whoa. Yeah. okay yeah but she was fun in the 1960s, 70s, 80s, 90s and early 2000s. <laughs> Happy birthday to Alice C. Evans, the microbiologist who discovered the bacteria responsible for brucellus in cows 
and undulate fever in people and led to the widespread pasteurisation of milk. So she's the reason you probably haven't died of a bacterial infection yet. Well, well, not you, because you're a vegan, so it wouldn't affect you. But <laughs> the for people who drink the excretions of cows regularly, she's probably saved your life at least once. We shall prevail! <laughs> OK. And don't drink raw milk, people. That's a very, very silly idea. Um, I would say drinking the breast milk of another species is a weird it, idea. It anyway, is, but it is pretty weird. Um, but especially if you don't take all of the weird funguses and bacteria that are living in it out of it. Um, it becomes a weird... No, that's that's not the weird bit, Nat. <laughs> <laughs> it's, well, it's the most dangerous bit. The weird bit sucking on another animal's... <laughs> 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 that's weird. <laughs> Says you. <laughs> You should try Back it. to Lucinda. <laughs> I haven't met an undulate I wouldn't have suckled from. And haven't. Happy birthday to Tom Paine, the 18th century knicker manufacturer and revolution enthusiast who got off from being beheaded by having a cold one day, which we discussed ages ago. Happy death day to Field Marshal Douglas Haig, the Field Marshal of the British Expeditionary Force of the First World War, who came up with the idea of walking very slowly at the Germans and seeing what happened. Um, that was a that was a good idea. After the Battle of Verdun at the beginning of 1916, he thought yeah. the Germans had uh, they'd had enough, and there was a devastating victory in sight at any moment. That was the beginning of 1916. The war ended at the end of 1918. Anyway, that's military genius Douglas Haig. <laughs> Happy death day to Edward Lear. He wrote great poems about people having beards full of birds. There was a young poet called Lear mm. who's dead. <laughs> Go. <laughs> and also, happy death day to Janet Frame, whose original name was Nene Janet Patterson Cluther. She was a New Zealand poet who spent many of her years in a psychiatric ward and was only prevented from having a lobotomy by the fact that one of her collections of poetry won a National Literary Award days before she was about to be lobotomised, which made the doctors think twice about lobotomising her. Wow, that's horrific. Yeah. That's Janet Frame. Her poems are available in bookshops and libraries near you. <laughs> Check them out, kids. <laughs> yeah. Here's the new Don't one. Don't anyone. Read poetry. <laughs> I feel like maybe, maybe um, you know, we've, we've, we're coming up to 100 shows. Yes, we are. Which means you can spend a whole day listening to a date fight and doing nothing else. Yeah, literally There's probably 24 almost hours. 24 hours of date fight. Oh, available. easily 24 hours, I would think. Yeah. I'm thinking, uh, is it time to refresh? Uh, you know, I could refresh the birthday music and make it a bit more like the Top of the Pops chart rundown yes, circa 1983, <laughs> which is the only time I know. Yes, let's try and do that. And then try and do a minor key version for the death days. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's possible. Anything's possible. Round two. After the froth of Eurovision in round one, it's time to get a little bit more real with you. Mm. So I'm going to take you to the 29th of January 1980 mm. and the international debut of the Rubik's Cube. I'm sorry. <laughs> Hang I'm on. So froth. Lego I'm so Rubik's Cube. I mean, all right. Listen, listen. I'm not going for the popular vote. Yes, you listen. are. That's exactly what you're doing. They, I mean, not that I'm suggesting the voting is being skewed by weird sympathy, listen. but people apparently love Lego and hate light bulbs. I love. I love how 
irate you get. Uh, by the way, the, the, the point of this, if, if you're listening for the first time, and I, I wouldn't know how you have got this far if you were, but um, <laughs> you can vote online. That's that's the point. We're having this little date fight. We're pitching these things against each other. And uh, what we need is for you to vote on which you think are the most successful. If you go to Twitter, it's at date underscore fights. And if you go to Facebook, it's facebook.com forward slash date fight. Where you two can join in the festival of sympathy for Jake, who's never won. <laughs> <laughs> Click Rubik. Invented in 1974 by a sculptor and professor of architecture whose name was Ernu Rubik. <laughs> it is the world's best-selling toy. Is it? Now. Now. I know you enjoy a fun fact. Mm -hmm. The number of different permutations of a Rubik Cube. Mm -hmm. A Rubik Cube is approximately 43... What do you think the next word's going to be? Trillion. Quintillion. Oh, I was only off by a power of... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, by a magnitude of... If it helps, mm -hmm. I can give you some perspective, right? So Phew. if you had one standard-sized Rubik's Cube mm -hmm. for each permutation you can have and you stack them all up in a tower, yeah. here we go. <laughs> it, would it would topple and kill you very How soon. How high yeah. would the tower be? <laughs> yes, it is higher than the Eiffel Tower. <laughs> <laughs> That doesn't sound like 15 quintillion of them, though. No. 15 quintillion sounds but, like... Well, it is higher than the Eiffel Tower by, by quite a magnitude. <laughs> yes, OK. Guess, guess, guess how tall it would be. Uh, it would reach to Venus. Well, I'm going to say Proxima Centauri, our nearest oh, okay. star, is four <laughs> light years away. Yeah. This would be 261 light years high. I don't believe... I mean, I, A, I don't think you can stack them in space. <laughs> You have to have really strong blue tack. Yeah. yeah, you'd have to have you'd have to have wow. a ball of blue tack the size of all the planets and the sun combined. <laughs> that's amazing. That's amazing. Well. With Jake and Nat. <laughs> that's our new podcast. Yeah. Amazing fight. Things you never knew, you never knew. Ooh, keys. <laughs> what is the common what's custard powder? What's up with keys? <laughs> You always find them in cobblers. Why do cobblers have keys? What are they doing with all the keys? Actually invented by Alfred Bird's wife. <laughs> Fun fact about keys. Uh, they were invented by a shoemaker in Dresden in 1403. <laughs> Called Timpson. Not true. Yes. I feel, yeah, I feel I, it's pathetic, but I now feel I need to correct what I just said about invented by Alfred Bird's wife. <laughs> Alfred Bird invented custard powder because his wife couldn't eat eggs. Really? I'm sorry, I'll shut up about custard powder. <laughs> <laughs> so, it's like, I went somewhere pointless and then said something pointless and then <laughs> Felt the need had to, correct to make the pointless a pointless thing. correction. I was so, I'm sorry. Oh, good. That's amazing. <laughs> That's amazing. <laughs> I'm going to take you to the 29th of January. I'm going to do something, something real now. Some real, Get real stuff now. went down in 904. You're going to do one of these inviolate ones, aren't you? That no, no. one, you, you can't possibly vote against it because it was a horrendous massacre or something. Go on. <laughs> I wish. I wish more people had been massacred on the 29th of January. <laughs> uh, 904. It's the consecration of Pope Sergius III. Oh, it's a Pope. Who cares? It's just it's another pope. pope. Glass is ready, everyone. Oh, Popes. This is a pretty exciting Pope. This is at a period where Popes, we're going through Popes at a rate of knots. Like, literally every couple of months, there's a new Pope. Wow. When he became a bishop, 
Pope Sergius, well, Sergius, as he was then, uh, Pope Formosus was the Pope. Is that like the Pope of Ants? Yes, he's the Pope of Ants. He emitted acid, formic acid, from his mouth yeah. and could melt <laughs> whole synods. <laughs> he was Pope- actually blind, but he built loads of bridges. <laughs> Pope Formosus uh, didn't like Sergius because Sergius supported uh, Emperor Lambert, or Lambert, probably, who was the enemy of Pope Formosus. So Pope Formosus sent Sergius to be a bishop miles away from Rome. Um, but in 897, Formosus died. Seven months later, he was put on trial by Pope Stephen VII, <laughs> who wasn't even the Pope who came after Formosus. There was one in between. Boniface VI lasted a couple of weeks, I think. So anyway, they wow. dug his corpse up, brought it out, and actually physically tried Pope Formosus's corpse. No. For perjury, yes. He was in the dock with them. He's in like, the dock, lolling to one side. Holding their Formosus noses. Yeah. Uh, objection, uh, lad. <laughs> he seems to be falling apart. Um, so Sergius came back to Rome for that, and he joined in the trial of the posthumous trial of Pope Formosus. Uh, the next year, um, the next Pope, they went through another Pope, Pope Theodorus II. He died. At which point Sergius said, "Right, it's my turn to be Pope. Everyone else has had a go. Um, must be my go now." But he didn't win. John the Ninth won. And his first thing John the Ninth did was call a synod and excommunicate Sergius, who fled to Tuscany. Um, John, within a year, was thrown out of Rome by the anti-Pope Christopher, who took Rome by force. Good Lord. Uh, <laughs> um, but once he had, uh, Theophilat, who was a local military leader who'd been left there by Louis the Blind, uh, rebelled and threw Christopher, the anti-Pope Christopher out and invited Sergius to at last come and be Pope Sergius III. Um, and he came in, was very happy. The first thing he did was have um, the anti-Pope Christopher strangled in prison <laughs> along with his predecessor, Leo V, who for some reason was... Leo V, we didn't even see in that list of popes we've been through in about six months. Um, he was still alive for some reason in a prison. Uh, he promoted all his family, had an affair with Theophilus' daughter, um, which was arranged by the, her mother, um, and she gave birth to the future John the Eleventh. Um, and that's Pope Sergius the Third. He's the crazy pope who strangles people and has affairs. This sounds very much like Brookside. This is a proper kind of. It absolutely was. I mean, the list of popes there. So this is in a two-year period. You've got Pope Formosus, Stephen the Sixth, Boniface the Sixth, Sergius the Third, Theodorus the Second, Leo the Fifth, and the anti-pope Christopher. It is a veritable pope opera. Thank you very much. <laughs> well Thank done. you. Thank you very much. Imagine how long I've been sitting there waiting to say that. I, I'm imagining exactly how long. Yeah. I know how long. I loved your popes. Thanks. I loved the. Uh, no, I don't know. I don't want pity. I don't want sympathy. It's fine. I mean, just get out and vote, guys. That's it for today. Yeah. No, I'm shutting you down. <laughs> I'm, I'm Tarantino on Channel Four News. I'm shutting you down. Okay. This is not an interview. This is a commercial. <laughs> we will see you tomorrow yes. with a little overtime. Uh, thank you very much thank indeed you. for your attention. Yes. We we crave it. We do so much. And uh, tell your friends at Hurry Back. We'll see you tomorrow. Take care. Bye bye.